0: All right, let's pray before we get into the word. Father, we we bow our heads and we bow our spiritual hearts, Father God, before you to hear from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, as you do, speak. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to do our part, to make ourselves vulnerable to your word, Jesus, to make ourselves open. Lord, I pray that whatever walls would be up, Father God, from this morning, from the fight in the car with the family on the way here, Jesus, or, Lord, whatever it is, Father, would you just, would you just um, break through those barriers that may be taking our headspace, Father God, and let us lean into your word for this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, welcome. I, I want to jump right into my story, and it's not about one of my kids. Everybody say, thank the Lord. Like, we already know enough about those kids. Like, that's why they're out of here. We kicked them out. This is not about the kids. So who, who enjoys jumping off of cliffs into rivers? Yes. <laughs> not everybody, but Dennis, I've seen Dennis has got some mean manus. So just watch out for that. I, I remember, um, so I, I grew up in the Wire and we were in Masterton, and there was a group of our school friends we were on our, uh, we, we, we would bike out to the river. Is anybody Kaituna way out, way out the, you, you kind of have to bike way out there. And so we, we did, and you have to probably bike about an hour to even get to a decent spot to jump. And so we biked out an hour, and on this particular one, one of the reasons I remember it so vividly is that um, there was a bull waiting in the middle of the road, as one does in, in Masterton and in the surrounding areas. And and none of us trusted it. And so it, it happened to be at the bottom of a hill. And, and we were kind of, sorry, it was kind of in like a little, a very mini valley, you know, like so the, the bike path was up here and we were able to go down and then we were able to go back up and the bull was down in the middle. And so each of us had to muster up the bravery to bike as fast as we possibly could past the bull. And we all managed, and we still lived to tell the tale. And the bull just could care less about us. So it was was anticlimactic, but it was still um, an exercise in bravery and courage. No one turned around, went back the other way. And so eventually, we finally ended up getting to our spot. And we went to our normal spot, and we got kind of bored of our normal spot pretty quickly. And so we went looking for more adventurous spots to jump off of. And in this particular area of the river, there was a really gnarly spot that felt like felt like, I mean, one of those movie jumps, you know, like I don't, I can't think of a movie right now, but there's just huge jumps. It felt like that. It wasn't that big, but it definitely felt like that. And so I remember there was, I think there was five of us on the trip at this time. And so we, we, we kind of told one another at the top, we said, and I may have shared the story before, so I'm sorry if I have, but we told each other at the top, if one of us jumps, all of us have to jump. And so that just that just like makes the pressure a whole lot more. And, and I probably would have won the award for the least likely to jump in that group of people. And so I don't think anyone was looking for me to jump or ready for me to jump. And two of our friends went down to kind of inspect the area. And we already had some people that we knew just because Masterton's a small place and you know everybody. We had some people that we knew that were down there fishing. And so it was, they checked out the water. They said, "Not nah, you're good to jump. Just don't hit those rocks. And so we said, okay. And anyways, our two friends went down And then I there was something wrong with me that day, and I had my shoes on, so I knew that it wouldn't hurt my feet because it was a big enough jump that you might hurt your feet if you're jumping into the water. And I went to the edge and I was looking and I just jumped. And it it was a huge, it was a huge fall. But it was something that like I was so proud of myself for. And then the other friends that were up the top were like, He jumped, I have to jump. So they jumped. And, and, and we all were like, I can't even describe to you the high that we were on biking home. But you know, the interesting thing is my two friends that were down preparing for the jump weren't up there when we all jumped. And by the time they saw us jump and they got up there, they said, "Not, nah, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. They had the same skill set as us. They had the same positioning as us. They had to fight the mad bulls of Masterton even to get there. But there's such, there is something that, that I want to speak to this morning. We're still in our, in our theme of, of living from victory. But the whole idea is that you can have the ability. God can have already purchased the victory. But if you're not ready for it, you won't be able to walk in it. That ability does not equal readiness. Ability does not equal readiness. And so this morning, the focus is ready for victory. It is not enough to be equipped. It is not enough to be called. It is not enough to be anointed. Last week, and I'm going to reference it a lot, we talked about the fact that, and Bruce talked about it this morning, maybe it was an early morning prayer, that Jesus has already purchased the victory. There is no more victory that's going to be purchased tomorrow because he has complete victory in Christ. How many of you can say amen to that? How many of you are grateful that Jesus has already died on the cross, that he's already defeated death, and that victory is available to us today? We can't get any more of it. But here's the thing. We have to be ready for the opportunities, for the battles to step into your calling when it's time. I think this idea is is so well encompassed in Mark 14, 38. It's Jesus talking to the disciples when they keep falling asleep on him. The Garden of Gethsemane, they're falling asleep. And what does he say to them? He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Many of you will know this verse. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the focus this morning is on that, that word. And the word in the Greek, willing, literally means ready. It means eager. It means I'm, I'm willing to do something. There is such a difference between being ready and being willing, being eager to do something, and being able to do something. To live from victory when God opportunities happen, we need to be ready to say yes. Amen. We're gonna get into the story of Deborah from Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a pattern with the people of Israel. After Ehud died, and the Lord said to them, said the Lord sold them, rather, into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. I'm going to pause often through this story and just talk to a couple of different things. I love when it gives you just like, now, Deborah, uh, like, what's going to happen after? Uh. The people cried out to help for the Lord. One of the things that I think it's so important. And, and honestly, this, this may be the most important thing is when we're, when we're talking about a topic like living from victory or living into victory or whatever, whatever title you want to call it, this idea of living in victory, we have to make sure that this is not just an exercise in like, I want to be a champion. Like, you know, my boys love the song, we are the champions, no room for losers, right? They love it. Mighty Ducks. It's a great song, great movie. But here's the reality There are people that are in slavery, in bondage, in brokenness, in in vulnerability, in shame, in guilt. There, There are people that are not walking in freedom. And we're not talking about trying to embrace victory so that we feel really good and we can have just a smidge more pep in our step to walk into our week. We're talking about the idea of victory because Jesus has already purchased victory. And I get something in my spirit that starts to stir when if Jesus has already done it and people aren't living it, I want to see people live in more of the freedom that he's already purchased. There are broken people everywhere. And there's broken people here. And I'm broken sometimes. And you're broken sometimes. But how many of you know we have access to the throne room of God and the resources of his victory? And so we have to pause here when we're looking at the story, recognizing that The people cried out to help. We need to understand why we're talking about victory. This is not just a nice topic. This is something that our hearts need to be burdened with to see the life of Jesus impact those that are crying out for help. For Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. I think it's important to just pause for a moment that it was Barak that was commissioned with with the, the, the calling, the anointing to lead the charge. It was Barack, not Obama. It was Barack. He was the one charged with the call. He was the one with the anointing on him to go and fight Sisera. And not only did he get a plan and did he get a strategy, he had the authority of God to back him, he had the skills to do it. But, verse 8 Barack said to her, If you will go with me, I will go but if you will not go with me, I will not go. I find this, this is, this is just a very, very interesting thing. Barack is perfectly positioned to step into the fullness of what God has for him, to step into the victory of the Lord. God has guaranteed victory, yet he refuses to accept the mantle. He is not ready. He is not willing, so much so that he even demands, if Deborah doesn't go, I'm, I'm not going to go. And I think one of the things that I, I just want to pause I, I don't think Barak was a coward in the slightest. That, that wasn't his issue. Barak was somebody that God had singled out to be the general of the Lord's army of 10,000 men, 10,000 warriors, to go against 900 chariots. And Barak wasn't actually unwilling to go into battle, he just had some other things that we're going to talk about right now. Barak was not a coward. But his refusal reveals that he was not ready for the calling that God had for him. And I don't mean that God felt he was unready. I mean that Barack had not made himself ready. He not made himself willing, eager to do that which God had prepared for him to do. The Lord even said, I will deliver the enemy into your hand. What did we talk about last week? And this is why this week is so important. The victory is the Lord's. And I think all of us can stand in that. But if you're not ready to step into the victory that he's purchased for you, and if you hang back, you will not be able to walk in the fullness of the victory that he has purchased. Verse 9. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then many of you may know the story where JL, it just like where the Bible gets like R-rated, like kills him with a, a thing in his head and it's pretty gnarly. Proverbs 21 verse 31 says, victory belongs to the Lord. It's already his, victory is his. He will have victory regardless, but the victory will not be ours, will not be yours, but it will be someone else's, And this word glory that it talks about here, this word glory means splendor, honor, beauty, bravery. We miss out on all of the benefits of the glory and the victory that God has if we're not ready. God will have victory regardless. He doesn't fall off the throne and his plans don't fall over because we don't get to participate in the fullness of what he has for us. But there's, there's the essence of being ready to step into the calling that he has for you. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? This is the call to action that we need to hear deep in our spirits. To live from victory, your spirit needs to resound with this call to readiness, this call to willingness, this call to action up stand, arise. There is a position of spiritual readiness. There is a position that we take that that this scripture infers that there's a possibility that we could be sitting down or lying down or sleeping spiritually. He says, uh, That is the word for this morning. If your spirits can catch it up, let your spiritual slumber be awakened and you already may be the most woke person in here. I was listening to a podcast by Chris Valatin this this weekend and he was sharing this amazing story and I'll just share it briefly. He was talking about before he went into full-time ministry with Bill at Bethel, Bill Johnson at Bethel and he was saying um, there was... uh, they went on this ministry trip together and he hadn't seen Bill for a while because they'd used to live in the same town and serve together. But Bill, they'd gone on this ministry and, and, they, um, and they ended up getting a little hotel room or cottage or whatever and they were just ministering together. And, and he said there was two things. The first was that it was just so inspiring to be around somebody like Bill Johnson and just he just so appreciated that time. But the second thing he said was it was more even, even more inspiring when Bill was asleep. And he said the first night it, and Bill, Bill was fast asleep, and Bill was saying, "I love you, Jesus. I want more of you. I need you. I want more of you, Father." And like the first night, Chris said he was like, "That's a bit weird," and that was pretty intense. But night after night after night, it was the same thing in the middle of his sleep. And he said, after five nights of it, he was no longer saying, "This is strange or this is weird." He said, "He said this is what I was born for. I was born to be on fire." And born to set others on fire. And the call this morning, if you will heed it, is up. Arise out of the spiritual slumber that can so easily creep up on all of us. You may have the skills and God already has the victory, but we need to get up. In Deborah's victory song in in chapter 5, which we're not going to read, she even goes further to say, awake, awake, meaning awaken out of the slumber that we've been in. Our spirits need to be ready and standing in the victory of the Lord. For this is the day, the scripture says. For this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. What does that look like for you this morning? This is the day that the Lord has given addiction into your hands. This is the day that the Lord has given breakthrough into your hands. Why is this the day? Because I know who my Jesus is. He doesn't need more days to do it because he has the fullness of victory in him today. This is the day that shame is broken and given into your hand, that guilt, that rejection, that generational curses. There is something in our spirit that needs to arise, that needs to awake, that needs to be called up into the fullness of who Jesus is. Don't allow the enemy to steal bitterness, even in this moment, that Jesus may be wanting to stir something in you that you need tomorrow morning. Don't be close to what he's wanting to do. Open your spirits. Hear what he's doing. Does not the Lord go before you? Being ready is saying, I trust you, God, that victory is yours. The reason that Barak was not ready to lead was because he did not have the spirit of readiness that Deborah had been cultivating. And so when it was time to arise, Deborah was the one that was able to release the sound of rise up, mighty warriors. Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17 teaches us on the importance and the spirit of standing up in readiness. We did a series on the armor of God probably about four years ago now but I'm just going to touch briefly on it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This passage of Scripture is going to reiterate that we need to do to be in this posture of standing. Having done all, stand firm. I think it's too easy for me, I don't know about you, when I read Scripture to be like, this is wonderful wisdom and not that it's life-giving change. And so we can overlook the importance of a passage because we already know it. Like the armor of God, yep, the helmet of salvation. Like you go through the list and you're like, check, I know them all. Like, boom, victory. Victory is when we can walk in it and not just know it. love this passage of scripture. Having done all. So what is the all? How do we do this thing standing firm? How do we be in this posture of readiness? Verse 14 explains the first part of all. Stand therefore. Notice the posture of standing. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The first part of all is to take up the whole armor of God. How many? when, When you put your clothes on, it's really hard to do it when you're lying down, right? Like, I mean, maybe you can, like you've learned a way. Or even when you're sitting down. When you put on the armor of God, and I'm not talking about just do it in your mind, I'm saying you should physically put these things on you every day. I've I've been doing it with my boys every day for probably, I don't know how long, like enough that they can preach this message better than I. And so can I tell you what happens to Bennett, though, when we start to put on the armor? Like we've been winding down, and it's like bedtime, and we're like, okay, shh bedtime. And then I like get onto the armor of God. This boy jumps up in his bed and he's ready to be suited up with armor. There is a posture that he takes that requires action when we go to put the armor of God on. And so for all of you that may, may not understand the power that our battles are not against the people. It's not between you and me. It's not between, between the person next to you, that there's actually a spiritual battle it, it wouldn't make sense to put on spiritual armor. That sounds kind of weird or something else. Can I tell you, it's not a weird thing and that we need to be equipping ourselves with the armor daily. And if you found that you're not ready for the opportunities or when life comes against you, it may be because you're not armored up. Put on the whole armor, even Archer, because he, he's more tired because he's going to school. And so even when he's the most exhausted, there's something that he still does. He, he's like almost falling asleep as we're praying and we're putting the armor on him every night. He makes sure that I can find like his legs and his arms to make sure that he's like, he's like, dad, I'm, I'm lying down and tired, but get those shoes on. He, he'll literally do that. He'll like, I'm like, sometimes it's well under blankets, especially if it's cold. And it's like slowly comes out he raises his arm. He's like, here's, and like, we're really specific in what arm stuff goes in. And that's not biblical. It's just fun. Um, but but we, we, we do it every night. But there is something that happens when there there's a call to action, even putting on the armor. Just really quickly, one of the reasons the armor is so important. And it's not our armor, it's the armor of God. And if you just want to get rid of the metaphor of armor, it's just putting on Christ. It's being ourselves in the middle of who he is. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, it's putting on the mind of Christ. It's getting rid of our thoughts that, are, that are, shouldn't be there. It's getting rid of the enemy's thoughts that shouldn't be there. It's getting rid of everybody else's opinion that shouldn't be there. And it's putting on the mind of Christ. When you put on the belt of truth, you're putting on the identity of who God says you are not who anyone else says you are. When you put the shield of faith, why it protects you is because you now have a perspective based on faith and not on your feelings. And it's based in who he is. When you pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the Bible, you now are no longer on the defensive, but you're on the offensive. And I'm gonna leave most of that sermon next time for Bruce Billington. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're putting on the right standing that will guard your heart the pain that comes in this life, you need to have your heart and it needs to be guarded because life hurts sometimes really bad. But when we stand in who he is and we put on his armor, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And I love this. How many of you put your shoes on last? Put my shoes on last. And then as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness. I love that. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Put on readiness. We have good news, the gospel, that brings peace to those in turmoil. We have good news of freedom to those in bondage. But this takes action from our part. This takes movement. This takes engagement. This takes readiness. This takes saying yes when that opportunity comes or when that problem arises? Are you prepared for the fight? Are you armored up? Are you willing and ready to go the distance? Are you willing to stand firm in the midst of chaos? The second part of all is in the next verse. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, we're getting Pentecostal this morning. What does it say? What is our second? What's our second expression of having done all? Because this is, you need to do these things before you're standing firm. And I would submit to you that these two things: putting on the armor of God, putting on who Christ is. And praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication are the two things that will release you to be ready when the opportunity comes, when the challenge comes, when the struggle is there. These things happen before. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit earnestly and authentically. Literally, in the word here of prayer, it literally means an exchange. When you're praying in the spirit specifically, when you can pray in English, it happens too. But when you pray in tongues, there is an exchange that is supernatural between his spirit and yours. And he starts to replace that fear that was in you and he starts to replace that doubt that was in you. He starts to replace those things that are in you with his spirit. And when you're filled with his spirit, you can't help but to say, up, awaken, arise, stand up. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The gift of tongues in the personal life of a believer is that it does something to your spirit. The spirit, the Holy Spirit himself releases readiness in your spirit. Romans 8.9 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Being ready is not some self-hype-up where you hit yourself in the face a number of times and down as many raw eggs and you feel like amped for life. This is getting out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can release and build you up. This is not self-building up. This is spirit building up. He is the one that releases life. You in and of yourself cannot go and raise dead things to life. But you can when you're surrendered to him to see. And I know every single person in here knows circumstances that are dead right now. And oftentimes we're questioning why are they dead. I would submit to you, are you praying at all times in the spirit to see it released? Are you armoring up on a daily basis to put on the mind of Christ and all those wonderful things? Have you put on readiness to engage the things around you? For the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazar, and the house of Heber the Kenite, And I paragraphed the graphic part. Jael killed Sisera when he was sleeping. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. That victory... Your victory that's coming up, it's not going to fix all the problems in the world. But you know what it will do? For anyone that's in sound distance of the victory that's in front of you, it's going to become a catalyst point for them to start pushing harder and pushing harder to find freedom because there's a flow over effect when we step into the fullness of freedom. There is a flow over effect. Your victory is waiting. Other people are hanging out waiting for your victory because that was the point. That was the catalyst. That was the starting thing of them destroying Sisera, destroying all of the armies that were coming up against them. Now, I don't know about you, but there's things in this city that I would love to see. And there's things in, this, in our families that I would love to see gone. And we need to be generations that say abuse will no longer reign in my family because it's stopping here. We need to be people that say alcoholism is no longer going to be a thing that reigns. How about this one for us, our, our Western Christianity? Pride will no longer reign in our hearts. We will not think we're better than the people around us. What is it that's that's there that needs to be cast down? Because there's victory in all of your lives waiting to be seen. And it's not because it's not available. We want to partner with him to say yes when he brings those opportunities to come against them. God is looking for people to carry the spirit of readiness that allows people to live from victory to be a catalyst. I love in Judges 5. Deborah sings a victory song, and the very first thing she sings is this. And I'm not going to sing it, because you don't want that. That the leaders took the lead in Israel. That the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. The first thing that she recognized in her victory song, the thing that she, she recognized first was that the reason for their victory is that the people offered themselves willingly. The people were ready to step into that which God had for them. The people were eager to move into all that God had. When you step out and you take the lead, when you offer yourself willingly is when you can live from victory. And we must do this. We must step out of our comfort zone. Your level of comfort determines your level of victory. We must learn how to step out of our comfort zone to be able to step further into the victory that Jesus has already purchased for us. May we be a people that stands in readiness, having put on the whole armor of God, having prayed in the Spirit at all times earnestly. We need to put on readiness and offer ourselves willingly. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that, Lord, we would, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, would you, would you even plant seeds this morning, even if we're not ready to let that bubble up in our spirits yet, Jesus. Lord, would you plant the seeds that say you've actually called us to victory. May we be humble enough to receive that which you're so desperately wanting to give us. Lord, the call of God on each person here is is so unique and as different as the people here. But, Father, you're wanting each of them to step into the fullness of victory that you've purchased for them. Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you open their eyes? Would you open our eyes to that which you're doing? Father, may we walk out of here in confidence, knowing that we can be armored up and prayed up, connected to your spirit, so that we can be ready whenever you call us. the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I I want to just shift just for a moment and take a little bit of time to update you as to where God has been speaking and leading Angie and my family in the last year or so. For the better part of this year, Angie and I have been really seeking God on the next stage of life for our family. I think it's so important for families to assess where they're at in life and in God on a regular basis. When seasons change, and one of the big seasons for us that changed recently was the addition of Lexi, who we call Nena, which I'm not sure why we call Nena. But she was born, and, and it, just, it just, when, when kids are at and all those things, you start to just continue to look to the future. We just celebrated her half birthday on Friday. It just tells you how fast time is going. We celebrated by eating pizza and cake for her. Uh, but we, we've looked back at our time here. First arriving in February of 2014 with one very small archer. I remember we were up on the stage here and there's some couches. And archer was in crawling mode. And I think Trevor had to go and rescue him because he was out he was the back and uh, he, he wasn't behaving. And then a couple of months later to come permanently in May and having the generosity of Comedini and Ana Fernando to house sit for them, and a large collection of assorted items that were hoarded out the back for us that would become the beginning of our home that were also graciously donated by the church here. One of our favorite items has been and has remained uh, um, a rice cooker donated by Frank Williams. It's just been amazing. We've used that thing time and time again, so I don't know if Frank's in here right now, but when you see him, say thank you again for me. Since arriving in New Zealand, we've had the joy of adding two more children, to our ranks and the deep sadness of a miscarriage in between. And many, many hours spent both serving and connecting with so many wonderful people in the church and also in the wider community. I remember when Angie and I together received such a strong call that we're supposed to be in New Zealand in late 2013. It was such a strong feeling that at the time we brought it to our pastors at the time, and he was like, Oh, don't know about that. Like it was, and we were like, Oh man, we really think we heard from God, but we, we, we were so confident that we'd heard from God that we even removed, we had an offering on a house and it was, it was an okay house and we, we removed it. We just needed our signature, but we withdrew it. And literally, it's only in God's timing, about two weeks later, we got an email or a call, I can't remember what, from the elders just saying, hey, we're interested in maybe if you wanna come and interview for a position at the church. One of the things that we knew for certain before coming and we discussed with the elders was that the call to New Zealand was just gonna be a season for us. Obviously, all of Angie's family is back in the States and in Mexico, and half of mine is as well. And since coming back to New Zealand, my family's abandoned me. Both my brother and sister relocated overseas. Melanie with her newly married husband, Dan, and Matt has gone back to be a high school teacher or student in the States. I'm not sure which one he's really fulfilling as much. So as we've reflected on our time here and we've sought the Lord for us, On what is next for us, both Angie and I have felt God so clearly calling us back to the States. Earlier this year, after feeling confirmation of this direction, we brought it to the elders and have had the chance to process the transition with them. We very much didn't feel a rush to go back home, but rather it was just the Lord preparing us for the next season. So we had in the back of our minds at some point in 2019 to make the transition home. In the meantime, we were sitting on further direction from God on the transition. In the middle of the season, we had some money unexpectedly allow us to pay off a credit card. Everybody say amen to that. And save just enough to make the move back when we were able to. But even, even then, the, even though our financial position had changed, we still didn't feel a, a burden necessarily to move immediately. It was just like, thank you, God, that's one confirmation. One that causes less gray hairs. And meanwhile, we'd received a number of other very significant confirmations for the timing of the shift of seasons from personal words from God to confirmation from trusted friends and a number of open doors back in the States. But the final piece of the puzzle for us came three to four weeks ago and why we're kind of here in this place is we received a call from our landlord saying that the owners of our house were looking to take possession back of the house at the end of November of this year. Angie and I both felt that the timing was very significant for our move. And rather than tackling another move and lease, we see and we sense God's hand on the move as we shift seasons. In talking through with some friends, we're going to house sit for them from the beginning of December and part of January. And we're going to make the transition back to the States at the end of January of 2019. By the time we leave, we'll be just a couple of months shy of our five-year mark of our time serving here at Lane Park Church. Now, I get to just, since I've got the mic, I get to talk about Angie for a little bit. I have to say that Angie has been an absolute champion for the entire time we've been here. Not once has she ever asked to go home. And for me, it's been very different as I have my family here and I've lived here for large portions of my life. But Angie left her family, her culture, and her friends to come and serve and she's done it so sacrificially i've watched as she's given birth to multiple children i couldn't help with that and live thousands of miles away from all she's known especially as close as angie and her family are particularly her sister and mom but not once has she said any word or carried any attitude that would reflect anything other than a desire to serve as best she is able and for that and i've already told her it but i'm so grateful for her for that her sacrifice behind the scenes that many of you may or may not know has just been huge. And I can't begin to list all of the things that Angie has touched and helped in so many different ways. But for our remaining time here, our goal is singular to continue serving and helping the leadership team continue to move forward in God. And I've so valued the time working and growing with the eldership team and the wider leadership team. And I've really enjoyed seeing so many in this room thrive in their different areas of calling and giftedness. I will be supporting the wider team to continue developing and stewarding the areas that God has called each of them to. One of my personal greatest joys is to pass on things that I'm able to. I just enjoy it. And I look forward to continue doing this with the team here until we transition into the next season of all that God has for us. I just wanna say thank you to you guys.
1: Wow, it's my responsibility as part of the eldership team to respond to what Jesse has just shared. And what can I say? Well, actually, I can say a lot, but I will be short. Jesse and Angie were always called here for a season. We always knew that. We always knew they were on loan. And what a precious couple they are. Uh, a slightly shortened season than maybe we anticipated, but when you add up the figures, they as Um, Jesse was saying, but when they go back, it will be a five-year period that they've invested in the life of our church. I'm talking to Kathy Lindsay just yesterday. We were talking about the huge impact that Peter Lyon had on our church in its early beginnings. Peter Lyon was with us for three years. So we're writing, and the last five years have been another chapter in that book of Hudson's. He's writing while he's upstairs there, watching down on us. Another chapter in the life of what was Christian Fellowship in Upper Hutt, CFUH, and now Lane Park. Seasons are just part of life, and they're part of every church life as well. There's a verse in Isaiah 61 that was very much on my heart when we called and were looking at somebody to help us. Um, five years ago and the and number of scriptures God gave to me and this is one of them in Isaiah 61 verse 5 foreigners shall be your servants they shall feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend to your vineyards Now, technically, they're not foreigners, but they did come from afar. They were not from within us at the time, but from over in the States. And I knew in my heart for that season for our life as a church that God was going to bring from afar something to build and establish us from where we were back then five years ago. The call was out to Jesse and Angie that we were at a stage where we needed some real input to strategically make some progress. We actually termed his job description as strategic director. We wanted to pick his brains, find out what he could do to help us move from a church that had grown and was stable, but wanted to move forward and not stay in the same place. And what a sacrificial shift that's been for this couple. They've given their all, and we as a church are not in the same place as we were five years ago. They've given their gifts and their talents. They've given their passion. Have you noticed the development in the preaching style and confidence in this young man since he first came to where he can stand up today and preach a message like he did today? They've given us their perspective. And look around us today, everywhere. The hand of Jesse and Angie is on our church. It's visible, it's tangible, and we're immensely, immensely grateful for these five years. So what does it mean for us as a church? And I'm speaking as far as part of the eldership team. Well, it means a new season. But as I said before, seasons are just part of life. What do we know? We know it's a season. We know we're going to build on the platform of these last five years and go forward forward. We know that there's going to be a transition, but praise God, we've got time on our hands. But even from now, we've got six months where we can do this transition well, where we can seek God's heart and his face. And I want to let you know that the elders are very, very actively seeking God's face. We're spending extra times on a weekend once a month, and we're going to call the church to fast and pray and support us as we strategically look forward to what it's going to look like in 2019. And we have these two to join with us and help us as we go forward. On a note, personally, as part of the eldership team, I said that last when we five years ago, something in my spirit um, confirmed that whatever the look of whatever we were going to do in the last five years, it would involve. I felt it was a prophetic word that from afar we'd be brought people who would help us. What's dropped into my spirit, personally, and probably I can speak on behalf—in fact, I can on behalf of the eldership—is just a absolute deposit of faith and hope and where we're going from here. It's almost as if whatever the transition of the next six months is, I can see in my spirit something further ahead, something wonderful, growth, development, stability, all sorts of wonderful things in God. God has deposited in our hearts something of Him because He sees the future. He sees further ahead. Now, on a note for those of you who... Um, know John and Sally Osborne um, who spent exactly five years with us a number of years ago I had shared confidentially with, with Sally that these guys were looking at the next season and I said please get on your knees and pray for us And Sally on the other side of the world, knowing Sally, spends half her life on her knees. And amongst other family news that she shared with me, she said, I've been praying about Jesse and Angie's departure from your church. And don't worry, the Lord will provide for all your needs and all those of the church. It may mean a season, hopefully very short, of pruning, but it will bring much fruit. Now, those of you who know Sally Osborne know that she doesn't speak her words without really getting the heart of God behind it. So I want to encourage you as a church to stand with us as a leadership, to support us, and to know that God is taking us forward god bless you all and i want to say i just want to pray father god i thank you for every individual that's in our church those that are new those that have been there for almost centuries lord like a number of us father god we thank you that we're a community we thank you that we're a community that trusts in you and at this very moment in time our hope and our faith in the future is in you and we declare it in jesus name amen